Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Still a very exciting time of the year for sports, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you get an extra grand and free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV. BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Today is February 27th, 2020. New York Yankees pitcher Luis Severino has an elbow injury that requires Tommy John surgery. That's a bad way to start out the episode for us Yankee fans. I mean, the team said Tuesday, I think, that uh, he has a partially torn uh, uh, collateral ligament in his elbow. That means he will miss all of 2020 after being sidelined for all of 2019. I mean, well, he made three starts in the regular season, two in the postseason. Um, I think it was Mets medical director, Dr. David Alchek, uh, said that he's going to operate Thursday in New York on that arm of Luis Severino. And, of course, James Paxton already was projected to miss the first two months of the season following back surgery on February 5th. Domingo Herman has to serve 63 games of an 81-game suspension for beating up his girlfriend. Um, he's eligible to return on June 5th, though, bearing any uh, postponements. But Luis Severino's injury leaves the Yankees with a rotation of Garrett Cole, Masahiro Tanaka, J.A. Happ, Jonathan Loizica, and Jordan Montgomery. Um, and again, the usual recovery time for Tommy John's surgery is about a year or more. Um, Jordan Montgomery, again, who came back in September from Tommy John surgery, he's been throwing up to 94 miles per hour, is the leading candidate for one of those slots. Loisica, like I said, Devi Garcia, maybe even Michael King is a possibility, along with, uh, unfortunately, Luis Sessa. Brian Cashman said that we're uh, always constantly looking for upgrades anyway. But this is really bad. This one hurts. Luis Severino, I mean, could you imagine Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Tanaka, Paxton, and then probably um, Hap as that fits. I mean, that was a pretty damn-looking good rotation, and now uh, we're not going to get to see it. Hopefully Garrett Cole can lead the charge. The offense, you know, is going to be there as long as everybody can stay healthy, uh, but uh, I can't say enough about that. Anyway, this is episode 164. We're talking to New York Mets broadcaster Wayne Randazzo. We're talking Mets here on episode 164. We're talking Wayne's broadcast experience, him climbing the ladder in the industry, now on uh, the air with Howie Rose at uh, WCBS Radio for the New York Mets, the New York Mets Radio Network. He's done some time on SNY as well as Gary Cohen's backups, done a lot of work with uh, Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling. He talks about how intimidating it was the first time he's ever broadcasted a game with them. Talks about some of his favorite interviews on his podcast, The Rain Delay Theater, with Steve Gelbs that he does with the Mets. So let's talk Mets, because I don't really want to talk Yankees. I might start crying, and nobody wants that here on episode 164, presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember to follow us on the Twitter, at Belly Up Sports. Remember, spring training season in full effect. Arizona, Florida, Cactus League, Grapefruit League. Opening days uh, coming up in the month, too. March 26th, almost a month. Like 30 days to the day. Uh, remember to use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your tickets 
to spring training and other events using TickPick.com. And again, go outside. The weather's beautiful in Florida and Arizona, at least, not back east. But you should go out and uh, use the protein supplements over at MechaNutritionStore.com. Use the promo code OSHO20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off your next order using Mecha Nutrition. Let's talk to Wayne Randazzo. We're talking Mets here on episode 164. Coming in hot. So before we talk to Wayne Randazzo, I want to get into a little bit of the Houston Astros once again regarding their sign-stealing scandal. It turns out that uh, Tim Tebow, uh, you could add him to the list, directly affected by the Astros' uh, sign-stealing scandal. I mean, the Mets outfield prospect, I guess that's what we're calling him, the Mets outfield prospect, former Broncos starting quarterback, former Gator. He's going to be wearing number 85 during spring training after, of course, Carlos Beltran took number 15 after joining the Mets. Of course, Tim Tebow was number 15 in the minor in the minor leagues. Uh, Beltran ends up leaving the team in January because of the fallout of the scandal. Uh, but the Mets didn't reissue the number. He's like, I like 15 a lot. So Tim Tebow will continue to wear the number 85, the big 8-5, and uh, well, he's only 32. He's in his fifth year with the Mets and their farm system. Probably not going to get called up anytime soon. And Wayne Randazzo actually talks about it uh, on this show. Uh, well, he batted 163 in AAA last year for Syracuse. Did Tim Debo, four home runs, 19 ribbies. That's not really going to get the job done. But uh, on, the, on the other side of this, Carlos Beltran obviously getting uh, dumped by the Mets just a few weeks ago because of the Astros scandal. Kind of the, the kingpin of the whole situation. Of course, New York Met, great. Worked for the Yankees for many years. And actually, at some point during the 2017 season, it was his first year in Houston, first time back in Houston. He played from back in 04. Carlos Beltran actually informed his teammates that they were actually lagging uh, compared to others and using new video replay mechanisms to the decipher signs between catchers and pitchers. In a piece earlier this month, actually, The Athletic reported that Carlos Beltran told the Mets that uh, they're, they're behind the times, or I think he told the Astros that. And Beltran's uh, uh, was obviously the kingpin was a key trigger in the Astros uh, devising a system that alerted hitters in real time what pitch was coming, at least in 2017, that's what we're told. And in that championship season, the Astros mainly used that camera installed in the center field, uh, fed to a monitor near the dugout, and once the signs were decoded, a garbage can would be struck to alert a hitter of what type of pitch was coming. I think everybody knows this at this point. Uh, the Astros did this hundreds of times and ultimately led to a series of MLB punishments, including the suspensions and firings of Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch. It also uh, unleashed a lot of speculation that if Carlos Beltran knew that the Astros were behind, then was a previous employer way ahead. I mean, he spent most of the 2014 through 2016 seasons with the Yankees, as well as in 2018 and 2019 as a special advisor to Brian Cashman. And Mark Teixeira, who was a prominent Yankee from 2009 to 2016, won a World Series in 2009, insisted in a phone call with the New York Post that he said, and I quote, I don't believe any of my Yankee teammates ever broke the rules by passing along signs to hitters in real time. We would have seen it. And Teixeira, obviously, in the fullest public explanation yet, described what the New York Yankees were doing and what he assumes Carlos Beltran meant by, uh, quote-unquote, behind the times. He said that 
the Yankees during his time, his Yankees used modern technology for old school benefits. So for years, players had used TV broadcasts of games to try to determine sequencing and uh, indicators to use if they got a runner on second base. And then that runner would relay the information to the hitter. So in 2014, Major League Baseball expanded uh, replay rules to give managers challenges. So each team was outfitted with a multiple with the multiple monitors and angles from all television cameras in use for the game. And each team was designated an employee to review replays and notify managers whether to challenge or not. But the unintended consequence was that it gave greater detail of everything that happened on the field, including a camera uh, trained on the catcher and thus, of course, his signs as well as his crotch. And Mark Teixeira said a few Yankees, namely Carlos Beltran, maybe Alex Rodriguez, Chris Young, obviously, uh, and a few coaches used the new equipment as the next logical step up from that TV broadcast, which had a single image and, of course, thus was not always trained on the catcher's signs. Uh, but if a Yankee thought he deciphered the sequence or indicator, Teixeira said that player would have shared it with his teammates. If someone reached second base, he was told to see if the opposition kept the same signs. If so, here, the base runner could alert the hitter with his own sign. And Teixeira also claimed that the system was not widely successful. So, in fact, here, he said uh, he ignored it because he thought, personally, it was BS because uh, by the time they decoded and would get it to him, he said my bat was over, the pitcher and catcher changed the signs. They were wrong more than they were right with that. And, uh, of course, he would argue with teammates, you're not good at this. You're, you're trying to give signs, and then you get mad at me because I'm not, uh, I'm not good at it either. Uh, we are not good at that. That's what, basically what he said in a nutshell. How, how do you get good at uh, decoding signs in real time and banging on trash cans? That is way over the line. So what if Mark Teixeira describes is, uh, is all the Yankees were doing? Uh, were they violating any Major League Baseball regulations back in 2015? In a statement given to the Post, MLB said after the 2017 season, uh, they learned that a number of clubs, of course, believed utilizing video, uh, video monitors in the clubhouse and video room to decipher signs so that they could later be relayed to a runner on second base was not a violation of Major League Baseball rules as long as the information was not communicated electronically to the dugout. And as a result, they clarified the rules going forward to expressly uh, prohibit such conduct. And Teixeira insisted the decoded information was not communicated electronically from 2014 to 2016, but rather by word of mouth. And, of course, Major League Baseball viewed what the Yankees and other clubs were doing as technology against at least the spirit, you could say, of the rule, but the league admits the rule wasn't written clearly enough to differentiate uh, that the replay monitors should not be used like a TV monitor in the clubhouse. And players had been trying to decipher for years off on regular television, which was not illegal. I mean, the league likened uh, those teams with the new replay monitors as essentially going 65 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour per hour zone as compared to like 100-plus mile per hours that the 2017 Houston Astros were going. So uh, I think Mark Teixeira has been on point with this. He's definitely been very vocal towards Carlos Beltran. Uh, obviously, in September of 2015, it was uh, the, the Red Sox being penalized for improper use of an Apple Watch against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. 
that's when Beltron was in Houston. Uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, we talk about Carlos Beltran with Wayne Randazzo, so I want to get to that interview real quick again. Wayne Randazzo, radio broadcaster over at WCBS Mets Radio Network with Howie Rose. Uh, he's done a few SNY games with uh, both Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez during spring training. He's the host of the Rain Delay Theater with Steve Gelbs, uh, talking to Mets current players as well as Mets legends. So let's talk to Wayne Randazzo here on episode 164 after this quick word from TickPick. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about your uh, broadcasting career because I know for me, I just went down to uh, San Diego in December for the MLB winter meetings. Of course, like the whole approach of uh, filling out your resumes, you and like a thousand other people uh, trying to get internships for the summer. I know you went to the, uh, I think it was the minor league baseball winter meetings. You filled out the resume, but you took a little bit of a different approach. What was that setup like? Because I know in my case this past year, uh, just looking around, I don't remember seeing any of like the teams next door. You actually introduced yourself to like all the teams next door. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they did it there, but it, uh, mine was in uh, Nashville, and they basically just had two ballrooms next to each other, and one was designated as kind of a waiting area for job seekers, and the other was kind of the interview room where all the teams were set up so it was really easy to just go in that room and find some teams that were not talking to anybody and just kind of uh, sit in with them while they were just kind of sitting there waiting for an interview to start were you the uh one of the only people in there because i remember like obviously everyone's filling out their resumes putting it like in their certain places i know there's like one through 26 26 through 50 how many people were actually in that room with you actually introducing themselves well, I was—I I don't know who was doing that, but I mean, there were a lot of other people in there being interviewed at the time. Right. So I mean, that was just where they were just kind of running through interviews throughout the day, because they're not—they're not just looking for broadcasters. I mean, they're looking right. for all sorts of different staff members. So they were in there all day long, and you know, they didn't—it wasn't straight through for most teams. So there was times when there were breaks, and you know, the, the tables actually had their logo on it. It was like, like a little uh, laminated paper with their with their logo on it so i knew which team i was going up to most of the time um yeah it seemed to work because it you know kind of set me apart from most people yeah i'd say so when uh, when did you know uh, at a young age growing up in illinois when did you know that you uh, wanted to become a sports broadcaster or at least involved in the sports media um really always you know i was i was a young kid in, in chicago chicago was always uh, kind of glorified its broadcasters to some degree, not just the team announcers, but uh, even the local news and the local sports anchors. You know, they were all kind of on a different plane of celebrity than most cities, I think, because Chicago was so big, but it didn't have celebrities living there like New York and LA did. And so, you know, guys like Mark Greco and Floyd Calver and, of course, Harry Carey, were were kind of looked at as you know these mythical feature creatures instead of 
just regular broadcasters and I think that uh, that got my attention at a young age and of course Harry and watching the Cubs you know the way that he was every day just made it seem so fun so uh, really from the time I was very very young I, I wanted to be a, a broadcaster of some sort did you grow up a Cubs fan yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, in baseball in Chicago, there were there were two teams, right. and the National League and the American League were represented. So, you know, I got to watch the Cubs on a daily basis playing day games. A lot of the time, still when I was a kid, that they didn't have lights at Wrigley Field, and until I was almost five years old, and then you know, the White Sox played all night games and played a whole different set of teams than I saw. So, uh, it was great to to watch both teams and, and to. Uh, see the whole, the entirety of the major leagues that way. Wow! And what was your first ever broadcasting experience like? Was it uh, college ball, minor league ball? I know you were with the uh, Kane County Cougars at one point. Uh, yeah, the first time I ever did any kind of broadcasting was at uh, Arizona State. I did oh, wow. for a little over a year, and I uh, worked on the college radio station there. And uh, first game I ever broadcasted was a, was an ASU baseball game. And they, as they typically were, they were loaded at the time. They you know, have refused to the head coach. And, uh, they had Pedroia, and they had Andre Ethier, and they had Travis Buck, who uh, was a big star for them at the time. So they uh, they had some future big leaguers there and, and guys who stood out immediately. And uh, it, was, it was fun to be around that team. And uh, growing up in broadcasting and at a young age, I know myself in college, like some of us, we make mistakes every now and then. Do you recall your like worst botch, like your worst mistake as a young broadcaster? Um, you know, as a play-by-play guy, you know, one, one that stood out to me, and it's probably not one that even many people noticed, was in, I did the Sun Bowl, actually not that long ago, it was about four or five years ago, and it was uh, North Carolina against Stanford, and the quarterback for for North Carolina was uh, Mitch Trubisky, who's now with the Bears, and and the Stanford had Solomon Thomas, who came to the number two pick that the mm-hmm. 49ers took, and Trubisky was leading them back, and it was late in the game, and it looked like they were about to finish their comeback, and they were going for a two-point conversion to either tie or win the game. And Solomon Thomas got into the backfield so fast to sack Trubisky that it messed my whole call up. So it was a, it was a big point in the game, but he blazed through so quickly that it kind of took me by surprise. And uh, the call probably didn't sound very, very crisp, but um, you know, it was one moment, and, and you know, there's that those have those happen. I mean, certainly you get, you get some things wrong. Um, yeah, I remember calling a game on TV for the Big Ten Network where I had the wrong identification for a player who just had a fumble recovery for a touchdown, and you know I kind of slammed my hand on the desk, and you can even kind of hear it in the background of the call. Um, but you know, this, you just shake it off and go to the next one. <laughs> Absolutely, you can't really correct yourself—at least not like after a few minutes or so. Um, what? So you? Obviously, went over to SNY. What was the most fun part about doing those pre- and post-game shows on SNY before you actually uh, got to call games in the radio? And what was the atmosphere always like in the SNY studios as well? Because it seems like you guys had a blast there on TV. Yeah, well, I did pre- and post for Mets Radio, not, not for right. TV. So I did, um, you know, I was on WOR, and 
Uh, it was, you know, it's a great job. I mean, when you're in the minor leagues, and that's kind of the next step is to get a big league pre and post job, and hopefully it's one that has some play by play like that one did. You know, the Mets radio uh, pre and post had about, you know, I ended up doing about 25 games a year of play by play, and then eventually started filling in for Gary on TV as well. So, you know, I was kind of uh, able to, to work both ways and, and do as much as I could um, as far as play by play was concerned. So it was great. I mean, I, I got to talk to the manager every day, and I got to know Terry Collins a lot better because I was the one interviewing him every day. And, uh, you know, I'm forced to talk to the players and, and, and be able to build those relationships to try to get those interviews on a daily basis. So it was a fun job. It was uh, an interesting job, and you know, it was, I was glad to have that experience doing that. And, you know, it also left me some time during the game. So, you know, some of the fun that we had doing uh, – Rain Delay Theater with yeah. Steve Gelbs and, and some of the things that we were able to accomplish and uh, you know it's, it's always fun to have some people around that are that are around the same age as you and, and you know, kind of on the same wavelength as you and, and you know be able to uh, build those friendships that, that last uh, forever. Now when it comes to players you mentioned building those relationships how tough is it building those relationships at first because there's got to be guys that are a lot easier than others. Yeah, of course, you know, I, mean, I think some guys are, are just naturally easy to talk to and, and some guys aren't. And, you know, there's, that doesn't make them any certain way. It's just, it's just everybody's different. So, uh, you know, you have to figure out ways to try to make it happen. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen. Sometimes it, it does stay where someone just is professional, but, um, you know, not necessarily friendly. So, um, you know, you just got to work around it and, and try to get as many people uh, to to talk to you and, and to be as friendly to you as possible. It's, it's not the easiest thing when that's not your nature to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's fine. Um, but, you know, you, you try to make the best of it. And, and you know, it's, most people are willing to talk and, and understand that's part of the job. And, um, you know, you get to know some of the players on, on the best, but also on, on some of the other teams as well. And, um, you know, it's 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 fun to be around these guys on a, on a regular basis and, and learn more about the game. I mean, I got pulled into a conversation once with with Max Scherzer, and just to hear his thought process is is really special because he's uh, a different kind of guy when it comes to preparing. Who would you say you mentioned Max Scherzer? Who would you say is the most interesting guy you've ever interviewed? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're, they're all interesting. And a lot of times, it's the older guys with the really good stories. Right. You know, you can sit and talk to Tim McCarver forever. You know, he's just that kind of guy. Once you get him rolling and, and get him going into storytelling, and hear sixty years of baseball come out of his mouth, it's it's incredible. You know, Bob Uecker's the same way. Um, so you know, a lot of times it's it's those guys who've been around for so long who have a lot to say and, and want to and aren't in the clubhouse anymore, but want to still tell their stories that that end up being uh, you know just as interesting as the players currently. And you mentioned those uh, broadcasters with experience, the Tim McCarvers, Howie Rose, obviously with the Mets for twenty. I think this is his twenty fifth year in radio. How much of a help was he in the booth last year? He's been a help to me since I started there in, in, in 2015. You know, I, I I had Howie's old job. You know, Howie yeah. was the pre and post game show host dating back to 1987 on Mets Radio, and uh, he's the one who had to do the interviews and talk to the manager every day. It was that that used to be his job? So, um, you know, if I ever ran into a, a, a problem or if I ever thought my 
interviews were getting stale or whatever whatever the case may be you know i always asked howie for his opinion and uh he always gave a very thoughtful and, and detailed answer and i always thought that made me a better announcer a better interviewer uh every time i had a conversation with howie and then when i would fill in play by play i I'd ask him for tips and he wasn't shy about uh giving him that i, I always tell the story about when i was doing tv for gary and i made a 10 minute clip and and wanted to get some feedback and i sent it to howie and literally 10 minutes later he called me back with a bunch of feedback he watched the whole thing as soon as i sent it to him and and gave me his thoughts i mean he's been uh, an incredible mentor and, and i'm extremely fortunate that, that now it's this is my second year of him being my partner and you mentioned those few games on S&Y. What's a, what was it like working with uh, Ron and Keith taking over for Gary for those few games? It, it, it's, it, it's an intimidating <laughs> yeah. situation because it's, you know, that's that's the best TV booth in baseball. Everybody knows it. Um, you know, it's, and it's not just Gary. I mean, Gary stirs the drink, and he's one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. But there's Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling, who are two uh, hugely, you know, loved personalities in new york two all-time great mets and you know being someone who's still relatively young in this and relatively new to the mets um you know it was it was intimidating to be to be thinking of going into the booth and doing those games what i found when i got in there is how incredible those two guys are to work with i mean keith and ron are great and they're great analysts they are terrific at what they do. They see the game in a very unique way. Uh, you know, Ron is, is unbelievable at what he can pick out. And Keith is too, but Keith also is, is so funny and so easy to work right. with. And on top of that, the first game I ever did on SNY was with the two of them together. And my plan was, you know, I'll just call the plays and let them tell stories and talk to each other. But really, they waited for me. They they gave me my room to to fill what I needed to do and to lead them into discussions. They didn't just launch into stuff. They didn't just make me invisible. They let me lead in the same way they let Gary lead, and I was blown away by that. And you know, every time I work with them, it's it's fantastic. Now, obviously, spring training much different than the regular season. When it comes to spring training, the, the pace of play, uh, given that, especially this time of year, late February, early March, players, like, you're starting, your typical starting nine are only playing three, possibly four innings. Uh, how uh, difficult is it getting through those uh, final six innings? Obviously, there's a lot of great prospects in the Mets organization, but come, like, the eighth and ninth inning, you're seeing the, the likes of, uh, you know, guys who probably may never make it to the major leagues. Challenging. I mean, you know, spring training is, is a good exercise for the players, certainly, and, and to get ready for the season. But, you know, we may not mean, need as many broadcasts as we do, but it's it's always fun to watch uh, a professional baseball game being played. Yeah. It's the major leagues, the minor leagues, and, um, you know, we don't take that for granted at all. And I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's good to see some of the younger players and, and get familiar in some ways with some of the minor leaguers. Certainly for us, Tim, Tim Tebow has made it interesting yeah, yeah. in some of those games because there's such an attraction to Tebow, and you know there's there's kind of this buzz every time he bats, hoping that he that he that launches one, and he really hasn't in any of the spring training games we've had so far. But you know if he if he does, that's going to be uh, something that is going to be seen everywhere. So 
Um, yeah, that kind of kind of adds a little wrinkle to it, but uh, you know, you, you learn their names and try to tell some of their stories too, and uh, you know, it ends up being kind of the same thing as as when the regular guys are in there, and, and they'll start to poke their way through a little bit more as the spring goes along. And you mentioned Tim Tebow. I think I think his numbers have been quite exceptional down in the minor leagues. Could you see him at any point over the next few seasons, possibly even in 2020, making like a September call-up appearance for the Mets? No, especially now that they changed the rules. I mean, he really right. have to have a great year in the minor leagues. Last year, you know, he struggled badly at AAA, um, dealt with some injuries. You know, he's getting older. He's going to be 33 this year. Right. You know, before when the 40-man roster was allowed to be in totality in the major leagues, you know, there was still that sliver of, of a possibility that he would make it if the team was out of contention. You know, maybe they'd throw him on the 40-man if they had a spot and let him debut. Um, but now with only two extra roster spots in September, those are extremely valuable, especially to a team that is going to be in contention as the Mets assume they are. Um, so I, I highly doubt it at this point. I mean, I, I think it would take the Mets being in a situation where they're around 90 to 100 losses for that to even be entertained. And I, it would be, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to foresee the Mets ending up in that situation for this year. Right, absolutely. And obviously broadcasting for the Mets, you're in your second year on radio. Obviously podcasting, of course, has transcended as one of the top outlets when it comes to media, at least sports media as well. And you talked about it uh, a little bit earlier. What was the inspiration behind the Rain Delay Theater? Well, we were just bored, you know. <laughs> it was uh, rain delays, you know, they're frequent playing in the Northeast and, and going to Atlanta where it seems to rain every day. Um, so we were just, uh, Steve and I were just kind of sitting there and, and bored a bit, and he's got a good social media following. So we just popped on Instagram during a rain delay and, just kind of fooled around and people seemed to, to enjoy it and you know we we turned it into a podcast that uh you know people again seem to really like and, and you know the having the interviews with some of the figures of Mets history and some of the current Mets has, has been great getting to know those guys on a on a different basis than than what you normally see so uh, you know, we've enjoyed doing it, and um, I'm sure we'll do it in, in some capacity again this year. Who would you say was your favorite guest last year? Um, you know, having I think Pete really opened our eyes with some of the things he said about being in college and, and his professor, you know, when he wrote about how he wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, and his professor really kind of poo-pooed that whole idea. Yeah, yeah. Gave him a, a bad grade because it was uh, not a realistic goal, which, you know, I, I can – even though it's not a very nice thing to do, I could see where, you know, a sixth grade teacher might say that to a kid, but a professor at the University of Florida, you know, there's there were five big big leaguers on that team alone. Yeah. I'm not sure where what, what that professor where that professor was coming from because that that's a that's a school that pops out big leaguers almost with some kind of regularity. Um, not to mention that it's just a terrible thing, I think, to tell a student, oh, yeah. who, whether it's baseball or anything else, uh, because I think that the people who chase their dreams are the, are the ones that end up getting the closest to them. So, um, you know, I hope everybody learned a lesson from from listening to Pete discuss that, because uh, I think that you know the, the, there will be a lot more people uh, reaching their goals if they just try. 
Yeah, I mean, a little misinformed, maybe, that teacher. Maybe some bad experiences. Like you mentioned, a lot of talent coming out of there. Uh, who would you say, just to put you on the spot here, who, who would be your top three guests that you'd like to have on the podcast moving forward? Well, we haven't had Jacob DeGrom yet. You know, Jacob doesn't doesn't love doing interviews. Yeah. He's, he's someone who, uh, you know, is, is, is you know, he, he likes to keep to himself a little bit more than others. Uh, when you do interview Jacob, he's great at it. You know, he's, he's a really engaging, thoughtful person. Um, but he doesn't like to put himself out there in that way. He's very focused on what he has to do. Uh, but, you know, it would be, be great to have him on. You know, David Wright's not around as much and never really was around that much when Steve and I started. Uh, you know, we both started in 2015, and that's really when David's biggest issues started creeping up and he was rehabbing a lot so you know we know him a little bit but we don't have nearly the relationship we do with someone like michael conforto who's been also since 2015 and plays every day and um you know we we see michael all the day we see him every day and we just never really saw david that much so um you know david's great to be around and we love seeing him when he's there but uh, he's not he, he's not someone who's been around that much so we'd like to we'd like to have him on of course and uh oh, i'm sure there's you know i'd like to have daryl strawberry on i feel like we've had yeah. every Mets legend except for strawberry and i think piazza hasn't really been on so uh, you know mike I, I feel like i know mike already and i don't i don't need to have mike on because mike and i mc a lot of italian american events together and um you know, it seems like I'm always around Piazza, but Strawberry, uh, you know, when I was a kid, Daryl Strawberry was uh, just kind of a, a unicorn figure to me. Yeah. He was such an incredible athlete and, uh, you know, a cut killer as a kid and, and all that. So it's, it would be uh, pretty fun to interview Strawberry. What? So obviously being in sports media at a very young age, have you – so – when it comes to the interviewing process, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people. Have you ever had a big guest scheduled and then it fell through? Like one that like really was like, oh man, I really wish we had the chance to do that. Yeah, I mean those, those things happen you know, all the time. Right. But, uh, you know, I think that you know, I've been, I have been fortunate to interview some some big names. I remember when I was in the minor leagues in Alabama, they had a big opening for the Hank Aaron Childhood Home Museum in Mobile. Hank Aaron was from Mobile, and the, the, the team down there wanted to move his childhood home to the grounds of the stadium and turn it into a museum, uh, which they did. And on opening night of that museum, not only was Hank there, but you know half the Baseball Hall of Fame was there. Wow. Uh, Willie Mays was there, Ricky Henderson, and Ozzie Smith, and Bob Feller. I, believe, I think it was Bob Feller's last public appearance, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, one name after the other was there, and it was uh, I was fortunate to interview a lot of them. Reggie Jackson was there, um, so that was a night I'll never forget. Just being able to, to be around those those baseball icons and, and interviewing them, most of them. Now going into this year, obviously, I I would say yeah, like October, November it was looking like Carlos Beltran was obviously going to be the manager going into this season. Would you have loved to have a chance to interview him? Yeah, it would be great to be around Carlos. Yeah and to, uh, you know, learn the game from him and, and the guy who's played it at such a Hall of Fame level, really, and I don't know if he'll get punished for what he did in right. by the Hall of Fame voters, but, you know, he he had a Hall of Fame-worthy career, certainly, and, uh, you know, it would have been, been great to, to hear his 
thoughts on a daily basis play out, but I do think the Mets ended up um, landing in a spot, you know, maybe not by by the way they planned it, but you know the way that it turned out, ending up with a guy who's going to be a really good manager in the major leagues and Luis Rojas, and you know, not not any different than 2015 when you know the Mets tried to trade for Carlos Gomez and couldn't. Uh, that fell through. You know, they almost had a deal with Jay Bruce. That fell through, and they ended up getting Cespedes, who took them to the World Series. Yeah. You know, it's you never know how these things work out, but I think that the Mets landed in, in a wonderful spot with Louis. And do you believe that the Mets had absolutely no choice in parting with Carlos after the scandal broke loose, given how it came out that he was almost like the kingpin of the entire situation? Yeah. Once it once the details started to come out. It, it, they did the. They absolutely did the right thing. It, it would have been difficult to justify having Carlos still in the camp and and being around players that you know they they cheated against. I mean, yeah. There's video of Marcus Stroman pitching to Beltron while the trash can's being banged. I mean, Stroman's on the bench. So yeah, I know. It's just been an impossible situation. I think they they really didn't have much of a choice. Do you think, obviously, the Red Sox investigation was supposed to come out multiple weeks ago. Do you think anything bad, like anything, like obviously I don't think it's going to end up being as ruthless as the Houston Astros situation, but do you think the Boston Red Sox are in any harm moving forward? Uh, yeah, we won't know until it's over, but from whatever's leaked out or been kind of rumored to this point, it seems like it's not, not as uh, indicative of what Houston was doing, um, you know, which may save Alex Cora a little bit, but uh, he'll still get uh, you know, he'll still get the, the big suspension. Yeah. At least the same as what the uh, uh, AJ Hinch and Jeff Luno got, and if, if not longer. So if you know if there was anything in Boston to that degree, you know, I, I was there was the possibility certainly that Alex could be you know kicked out of baseball entirely. Certainly that has happened recently to the to the Braves GM John Coppolelli yeah. picked out for forever so it's uh, it's it's certainly some precedent for it but I, I think Alex will uh, you know have a minimal suspension with regard to that now given that AJ Hinch got one year and quite frankly didn't uh, like what was going on obviously he didn't stop what was going on so that's why he got in trouble but Alex Cora him and Beltron being kind of the leaders behind it and Cora being the coach for that team and then being the manager for the World Series championship with Boston in 2018 do you think it's going to be at least more than one year for Alex Cora it could be you know it just it just depends you know he was not in a managerial role but he certainly was as a bench coach somebody that um you know, had the players ears and should have been uh, more responsible in that way and then well, again we'll see what, what the Red Sox situation leads to seeing as he was the manager there but uh, yeah I'm sure it's going to be a stiff penalty regardless all right I got two more questions for you the first one again putting you on the spot here it was your first year uh, as a radio play-by-play for the Mets what was your favorite uh, call for the Mets last year in 2019 in 162 games? Yeah, that was, you know, a couple really do stand out, you know, even though it's a long season and there are many good moments, you know, the, the way that they played in the second half last year, uh, you know, I, I don't typically do the ninth inning, but it was uh, a night where they went into extra innings and Howie and I kind of switch off, so I did the 10th. And, you know, the Mets had a dramatic win against Cleveland. J.D. Davis had a walk-off hit off of Brad Hand and a pretty memorable moment. And I was able to call that one. Um, And then I got to call a bunch of Pete Alonso's, you know, home runs, obviously. But I I got 
number 53, the record breaker over Aaron Judge, and you know the the all-time rookie home run record being set, and um, you know it was it was it was a great call, and it was great to be on that moment. It was, it was a historic moment in baseball history, let alone for the Mets, and you know just fortunate to be able to do that. And you know I was also fortunate that I got to call his 42nd home run, which broke the Mets record. Yeah, because. You know, that was kind of a big moment too and obviously no med had hit that many home runs in the season and how you know he gave me a little advice about how to call those historic home runs maybe just a, a little bit better with a little more detail and fortunately you know that advice i didn't have to didn't have to wait very long for the next historic home run to call it was only you know a few weeks later when Pete broke that record so right um you know i was able to take what, what howie had said a, a few weeks before that and, and use it for that call i think it was a, a much more uh, complete call now when when you said uh you guys go back and forth how does that work with howie in the booth you guys going back and forth is it every other inning you get first three he gets next three something like that yeah i do the third the fourth and the seventh and then i we, i do the even extra innings and he does the odd oh, wow. um so yeah he, uh, he'll he'll do you know the beginning and the ends of the games that he's there and then when he's not there i'll do i'll do his innings and whoever's filling in will do mine interesting okay so one last question before i let you go Moving forward in your career, I know you got a great gig right now with the Mets. What what do you think is the tip of the iceberg? What's the ultimate goal for Wayne Randazzo when it comes to sports broadcasting? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've called I've called so much uh, already, and I've, I've had so many. You know, uh, you know, I work a lot for Fox doing college basketball, yeah. Ten Network. And, you know, those are great gigs, and I've done a lot of football on the radio. I've called some big upsets or some big NFL games, and. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still pretty young in this business. You know, I'm only in my 30s and, and still have a lot left to accomplish. Just uh, just want to keep pushing forward, you know. Just want to keep evolving as an announcer, keep getting better. And, you know, if better gigs come along, uh, that's great. Certainly as far as baseball goes, I'm, I'm in a, a spot that, you know, I hope I, I never really leave. You know, yeah. being with the Mets, they've been great to me since day one. Uh, New York's the number one market in the country. It's uh, a passionate fan base, so you know there's really no reason to ever uh, want to leave the Mets. You know, as far as some of the national stuff I do, yeah, I, I like to keep evolving as far as that stuff goes. But uh, you know, for baseball, I think I'm uh, in a great spot and hope to be there for as long as I can. Thanks again to Wayne Randazzo. Safe travels down to Port St. Lucie, Florida this week. This was episode 164, Talking Mets with Wayne Randazzo here on The O Show. We're presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Belly Up Sports. Remember, TickPick.com. Go get your tickets. Go get your $10 discount using the promo code OSHO10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off your next order using, you guessed it, TickPick.com. And of course, if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping aids, use the promo code OSHO20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off your next order. Remember, swole is the goal, size is the prize. Hit it, Hootie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.